week's reading comes from the Gospel Luke, chapter 7, verses 36 to 50. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, so she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. You, have for, you did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. Then Jesus said to her, Your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. This is the word of the Lord. Um, let us pray for Justin as he um, shares God's word today. Dear Lord, we are thankful for Justin, Lord, as he shares your word. Lord, we pray that may your Holy Spirit be present among us. Um, may you use your vessel, your faithful vessel, Lord. May we be encouraged, be edified, and be comforted. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Joseph. How's everyone doing? Pretty good? Good week? So for the last uh, five days, my wife Anna has been away at uh, Washington, D.C. Um, she's there to greet her new niece, Avery, and she's spending time reconnecting with families and, 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 and friends who she hasn't seen for now like four or five years. You all understand that feeling, right? So, uh, so it's just really good to see that she's enjoying her time there. I'm a little bit jealous, but <laughs> that's fine. So actually on Wednesday morning... Um, I woke up to the sound of my daughter, Adeline, crying. So I go over to her, ask her, what's going on? And she's just crying, crying. And saying, Dad, Mom left for the airport before I woke up, and I miss her so much, you know? And, you know, I'm just like, right, <laughs> you know, like comforting her. And then after a couple of seconds, I start thinking about this. And I'm thinking to myself, 
wait, you don't cry like this when I'm away. <laughs> so, so I asked her, like, you, you don't do this. And I just, like, I, God just humbled me at that moment. And she, and she, she, goes, she goes, but you're different. <laughs> I was like, what is, what is that? What does that mean? <laughs> you're different. I was brewing the entire day, like, thinking about what that meant, right? Uh, just for your information, all, all, of, all three kids are alive, and they've been fed a few meals, and they're, I could attest to the fact that they're here uh, uh, with us. And so uh, thanks for all of you who've been praying uh, for me as I was managing uh, solo parenting. It's been, it's been a learning experience. So would you join me in prayer uh, before we get into the text? Living God, we come to you with a lot of stuff and we place it before you and we open our hands and our ears and our hearts to receive all that you have for us this morning. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Friends, I want to invite you to keep your Bibles open. Uh, throughout this story, throughout the sermon, actually. And if you don't have a Bible with you, that's totally fine because you can find the entire passage in the back of your worship folder if you have one, right? And if someone wants to, uh, does anyone want to borrow my Bible? (laughs) If anyone wants to, raise your hand. Anyone? So the story opens with the repetition of the word, Pharisee. Keep that in mind. Okay, so we're going to go to verse 36 to 37. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And a woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. So of the Pharisee, to the Pharisees, at the Pharisees, Luke, the writer, is wanting us to pay attention to the setting of this banquet. This banquet was was being hosted by a religious leader who was devoted to ritual purity. That's what you have to understand about the setting. It was a home where only those who were clean were welcomed. And honored. So if you look at the original language, there's a, a word that is missing because verse 37 starts with this and behold. And behold. In the Bible, behold is used over a thousand, depending on how you, over a thousand times. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Revelation 3, right? Behold, the Lamb of God. John 1. Behold, I am doing a new thing. Isaiah 43. In a home where those who are unclean were not welcome. Behold, a woman who is known around town for her sin enters the scene. Unwanted, unexpected, unwelcomed. I'm often shocked at how commentators and preachers are are quick to assume that this woman is a prostitute, though there's no clear evidence that substantiates that. 
In fact, Luke has no interest in identifying the nature of her sin. But what the text makes very clear here is that she is resolved to find Jesus. So let's go back to the story. Verse 38. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with tears. And then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. In the ancient Near East, the traditional posture of eating was to recline at the table. So there's an image that's going to be projected up for us. They didn't sit in chairs around a high table like us. They laid down around a low table, propped on their left elbow with a cushion for support, with their feet angled away from the food. And so though this woman, she intends to anoint Jesus, when she finds herself before him, she begins to weep. And it wasn't just crying. The, word, the Greek word for her is klio, which means she is, she's sobbing. She's wailing out loud. In the Greek language, there's a, a, a separate word for silent crying. And that word, that word is not being used by Luke here. The word that he's using is klio. She's sobbing. She's, she's weeping. She's wailing out loud. And then she begins to wet his feet with tears. The word wet can be better translated as rain down. She rained down tears on his feet. And despite some of the exceptions that I have with Martin Luther, the reformer, I appreciate how he describes the woman's tear as heart tears, tears of gratitude from the depth of who she is, raining and soaking the feet of Jesus, lost in the wonder of who he is. And then she does the unspeakable. She lets her hair down and starts wiping his feet. In public, all Jewish women were required to wear their hair up. Not to do so was a sign of shame. It was a sign of disgrace. A woman's hair represented for her her dignity. And did you know that in those days, only the lowest slaves would touch the feet of another? And what does this woman do? She lets her hair down and starts wiping the feet of Jesus. Not even the lowest slave would want to do that. And then she starts to kiss his feet. In the Greek, kiss karafileo. It's an intense word. You find it in the story of Luke 15. Do you remember the story of the father who was waiting for the return of his lost son? What does the father do at the sight of his son? He starts, he, his heart is filled with compassion. And then he runs to his son. He throws his arms around him and kisses him over and over and over again, embracing, kissing, embracing, kissing his heart full of compassion. Same word, raphileo. So she's kissing the feet of Jesus. And then what does she do? She breaks her alabaster jar of perfume, her treasured inheritance, her hope chest, her dowry, and proceeds to empty it at the feet of Jesus. 
with each compounding action, tension continues to build up. Luke uses the imperfect tense for the continual weeping, wiping, kissing, and anointing, meaning that all of these compounding actions were happening and taking place for an uncomfortably long, long time. Imagine the shock around the table. Imagine even the face of disgust. And then the focus shifts to the host. Verse 39. Let's go back to the text. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she's a sinner. In contrast to the woman, the Pharisee at a distance condemns and judges. His thoughts consist of what grammarians call the second-class conditional clause, which is an if-then statement that presumes a negative condition. In other words, he was saying this to himself, if he were a prophet, which he is clearly not, then he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is. Ultimately, and sadly, for the Pharisee, his religiosity was the very thing that stood in the way of him encountering and meeting Jesus. Righteousness for the Pharisee meant staying at a distance from the sinners. But the irony was this, that before him was Jesus, the righteous king, welcoming, forgiving, blessing And so we look at this text, and often we're quick to say, oh, that Pharisee, what a sinner. He missed the point. He doesn't get it at all. But if we're really honest, if we take some time to reflect our lives, don't we at times mutter the same words to ourselves? Don't we do that? Hold up, Jesus. Wait a minute. Should she be here? There's no way that I can be part of that connection group because of her. Wait, what? You know what he did, right? Isn't he the guy who always. Jesus will always challenge our notion of who is included. And the longer I follow Jesus, I'm often surprised and humbled at who he chooses to include. Over and over again, Jesus will stretch the boundaries of our welcome. Over and over again, Jesus will stretch the boundaries of our welcome. It's also worth reflecting on how we organize ourselves as a church. There's this really mistaken notion that churches bustling with active programs are the ones that are most alive. But can it be that we're so busy with ourselves that we're insulated in our quote-unquote Christian bubble that we have no time to be with those Jesus longs to welcome, forgive, and bless. 
It isn't that we condemn or or question like Simon, but can it be that we have structurally and communally failed to organize ourselves as a sent community? Rene Padilla, who was instrumental in the formation of some of our pastoral team members, says this, commitment to mission is the very essence of being the church. Therefore, the church that is not committed to the mission of witnessing to Jesus Christ and thus crossing from the frontier between faith and no faith is no longer the church, but becomes a religious club, simply a group of friends or a social welfare agency. When the church is committed to integral mission and to communicate the gospel through everything it is, does and says, the church understands that its goal is not to become numerically large or materially rich or politically powerful. Its purpose is to incarnate the values of the kingdom of God and bear witness to the love and justice revealed in Jesus Christ. So there's a difference. There's a world of a difference between just simply going to church and being the church. The evil one doesn't have to do anything as long as FPC is full of people that just go to church. Even if it's the case that we have a superb building, loads of programs, active programs, like it's, it's going places all over social media, lots of great staff, and over 137 years of history, it does not matter. But when we start being the church, when we start understanding that, we will witness the kingdom of God. We will see what the kingdom of God is all about because that's when the blind will see and the lame will walk and the leopard will be embraced and the lost will come home. And this is the thing that I realized from the story. The church is the body of Christ. His body was and remains to be close in contact with those who we often neglect and are too busy for. You have to realize that in this text. Now let's go back to the text again. Verses 40 to 47. Sorry. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed 500 denarii, the other 50. Neither of them had money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came to your house, and you did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't give me a kiss, but this woman, from the time I entered, had not stopped kissing my feet. You didn't put oil on my head, but she poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But whoever has, for, has been forgiven little 
loves little. So according to Kenneth Bailey, a New Testament scholar, the phrase, I have something to tell you, was a phrase in the Middle East that refers to a blunt speech that a listener might not want to hear. So despite what the Pharisee mutters under his breath, this is the wonderful thing. Jesus doesn't give up on him. Because you see, Jesus came both for the woman who lived a sinful life as well as the self-righteous religious leader. Calling him by his name Simon, Jesus reveals the heart of God with a story. Simon, I have something to tell you. You probably don't want to hear this, but I want you to listen. Two people owed a significant amount of money to a, a certain moneylender. One owed 100 days worth of wages. The other 50, neither can repay. And the lender graciously cancels both debts. Which of the two do you think will be more grateful? Simon, don't you see? Do you see this woman? Hold, look, pay attention, open your eyes. From the, from the outside, you might come across as someone who, is, who has it together. You look clean. You look dignified. You look esteemed. You're in your Sunday's best. And you think you're in the positive. But oh, Simon, the reality is you are in debt. You need forgiveness just as much as she does. This is the scandal of grace that God and his good pleasure chose to cancel her debt and your debt. Simon, the difference is this. While this woman recognized God's forgiveness, you didn't. And you chose to not even extend the customary courtesies of hospitality. Where was the basin of water to rinse the road dust from my feet? Where was the common greeting of a kiss on both cheeks. And if I'm truly your honored guest, why didn't you anoint me with even a small amount of, of inexpensive olive oil? No water, no kiss, no oil. But do you see this woman? She, on the other hand, poured her tears on my feet and wiped them with her hair, knowing knowing full well that she'll be looked upon with disgrace. And she kissed it, something that even your lowest servant would never ever want to do. Inexpensive olive oil? No, she went further. She broke her most valuable possession to pour it at my feet. And so all, for all of the outrages and, and scandalous things that you have judged her for, she did it because she actually experienced the scandalous and outrageous love of God. Simon, don't you see? You are also the sinner in the town. When we recognize the death of God's forgiveness for us, we can't help but fall in worship at the feet of Jesus. We can't help but to pour all that we are and all that we have before him. We can no longer stand at a distance and judge from a place of arrogance like Simon. 
we fall in worship at the feet of Jesus. Because you see, our worth is not derived on what we have done or can do. Our worth is based on what Jesus did and who he is. Not only did he take away all of our brokenness, we often think about all the sins that we've, we've committed, he's taken it on the cross. Not only did he do that, but he placed his righteousness on us as our new identity, free to live in right relationship with God, right relationship with others. That's the scandal of grace. The story concludes with these powerful declarations from Jesus. Verses 48 to 50. Then Jesus said to her, Your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sin? is still resolute on looking at this woman and says, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. peace. These are powerful, powerful declarations. And so as a way to bring our sermon series together and for for us to better better understand the force of what Jesus is saying, I want to share this video of Ed Dobson and his wife Lorna. Ed's pastoral ministry uh, came to a close to a debilitating effect of ALS, which is also known as Lou Gehrig's disease. ALS, as you know, is a progressive nervous system disease that leads to the loss of muscle control. It's a terrible disease that robs people of their ability to move, speak, eventually eat, and even breathe. It's like this internal death that happens progressively and slowly. And I have to say, Ed wasn't a perfect person. He had a lot of issues. But he's left an unforgettable mark in my life. He's taught me about what it means to follow Jesus with grace in the face of insurmountable odds. So here is his story. Iceman on tall hours were searching and everything I came up against was negative and I kept figuring there has to be a way to cure but I never found What I hear more often than anything is, oh, he's such a miracle. And I remember being in the Holocaust Museum. After he'd been diagnosed a few years, I thought, his body's beginning to look like some of those people that I saw in the photographs. And that's not my idea of a miracle. Uh, There is no cure, period. He was challenged years ago by a pastor friend here in town who did healing services in his own church. But he told us about people who didn't get healed. And 
she was wonderful and said don't become obsessed with healing get lost in the wonder of God and who knows what he'll do for you I discovered in the Bible there's a difference between being cured and being healed. There were ten lepers. All of them were cured, but only one to say thanks and Jesus said you are healed it helped me understand that as much as I would like ALS Reverse, it's not the most important thing. The most important thing is under God's grace. I uh, have developed a prayer for ALS. And it's biblical. The blind man uh, in Jericho yells out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. So that's my prayer. And uh, I pray that for others, throwing yourself at the mercy of God, not demanding what he should do, uh, but following his mercy. We're not saying that people shouldn't ever pray to be cured. Um, because God does that sometimes. And yet when it seems that with a disease such as ALS where you must um, accept the reality of the way the disease goes, you might as well focus on getting things right that you can. I think you focus on God and your relationship with him. I think you seek forgiveness of others and you develop gratitude in your own life. Healing is more than a cure. It's wholeness with God 
with others and with yourself. That's healing to me. Healing is more than a cure. It's wholeness with God, with others, and with yourself. That's healing. Friends, that's freedom. That's peace. Your sins are forgiven. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Your debt has been canceled. You are released. You are no longer defined by what others say about you. You are defined by what I say who you are. My child, my beloved child, you are freed, free to live in wholeness with God, with others, and with yourself. I would like to close with an invitation that my friend David Nacho opened the series with. We can bring our brokenness to Jesus. We can. Because nothing, nothing, absolutely nothing, will stop the good news of freedom. You've been listening to the First Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. For more sermons and information about our church's services and programs, please visit firstbc.org.